Well, good morning. It's great to see you today. You know, I was uh, standing through worship and just enjoying the presence of the Lord in my own life, being reminded of what we're singing about. It just felt very clear this morning. We're in a, f- a, f- a family series, we're talking about a lot of practical things. And yet I was very clearly reminded that this morning what we were singing about and what we were worshiping to might be something that you're not experiencing in your personal life. I don't know why you're here this morning. And yet this God that we sing about give our heart and worship to this Jesus that we celebrate we follow maybe to be honest you're just an outsider to it all and to you it's just a bunch of facts Maybe even sometimes you think the people that do that, they just need a crutch in life or they. And yet this morning as you're here and you're singing, you absolutely sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what he does. That's how he is. When you come into his presence, he's speaking and wooing and drawing every one of us. Maybe this morning... You're just kind of feeling like an outsider. You're attracted to these ideas. This God that we sing about, the Bible talks about. And yet personally you would say, I don't, I don't know this God. I'm an outsider. This felt very clear today to remind you that The gospel that we proclaim here, that we celebrate, rejoice in, it's a gospel to all people. Christ came for you. Christ loves you. And this morning, he invites you. He calls you. trust him to turn from yourself completely to him to acknowledge I'm just I'm a sinner I think we all know that right don't have to convince us of that too often yet he calls you by faith trust and a turning to him he gives you an offer of 
of a new start, a new beginning, a new life. Say, I don't know what all that means. Guess what? None of us did. But as Jesus called disciples out when he walked this earth and said, hey, follow me. They didn't know all that meant. They just knew who he was. They believed in who he was. And they knew that he was the Messiah. Jesus continues to just call you and you and me and all of us to trust and know that following him is the only way to live. And so this morning, I just want to pause. I just want to pray. I want to allow some space for you. If in your heart, you're an outsider. Just know you're outside the family of God. You just know it. He said, I don't know God really. Would you open your heart right now in this moment? Would you begin by faith and trust and a turning to him? Begin to ask him to come into your life. To acknowledge that what you've been doing and who you are is not working. That God offers forgiveness of your sins. He offers a new life in Christ. He offers a life that he calls abundant. It makes sense. All of a sudden you have the strength, the ability to live the life that honestly we all desire and want to live, but we never can pull off on our own strength. A life where all of a sudden our relationships begin to come together because we're living out this, this life that is led by love. Will you open your heart this morning? I want you to know that every staff member here and if you look around this room and you know somebody that comes here, they will be more than happy to have a further conversation with you about what this means, about what it is we're all about, about what this dynamic of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is. I'm just asking you, would you open your heart right now? Would you begin to just invite him in simple trust, faith, Father, we know you're here with us today. We know you're drawing people. We know how your Holy Spirit is so faithful to every one of us. And Lord, I don't know who's here today. I don't know the condition of, of all the hearts, Lord. Only you do. Only God knows. But I would imagine that there are some who come in today, and for whatever reason they're here, Lord, they just know in their heart they're an outsider. They don't know you. They may know a lot about you or know things about you, but they don't really know you. And today, Lord, we want to just make some space for the most important thing, and that's just to allow them in their heart right now to lift their hearts up to you, to believe, to repent, to turn from themselves and their sin, to turn to you, 
to embrace the fact that you're the savior of the world, the only hope of the world, the thing that they need most in their life, the thing that they cannot really truly do without. To stop living life in their own strength, in their own wisdom, in their own abilities, with their own plans, to realize that always leads to dysfunction and often to chaos and it, 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 it becomes a life that, is, that lacks fulfillment and meaning and purpose and it's empty, it's void. It's restless. And to turn and embrace and come to the one who is the savior of the world, the light of the world, the hope of the world, the one who offers what so we, we so desperately need, forgiveness from our sins and the restoration of a life connected to God. To become your children as you always have intended and purposed and planned. And so Father, in this moment right now, we just trust and know that you're faithfully speaking into hearts and lives. And Lord, may this be the moment, may this be a, a catalytic time for them where they just begin to trust and believe and, and maybe they don't know what it's all about. But the first thing that matters is the acknowledgement that he is who he says he is and I need him more than anything else. And I don't know all that that means, but I know he is the Savior. Lord, Speak right now, draw right now, move in hearts right now, I pray. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you're one of those people that you would say, you know what, Chip, you're talking to me. Outsider would be a phrase I would identify with. Please come and see a staff member. Please talk to somebody in this church. Ask him about what it means to follow Jesus and what all, that, what all that entails. I can tell you that as a follower believer, my favorite, most desired conversations I ever have is to share Jesus with somebody else. Amen. All right, so we're talking about a fight for the family. Again, a it's a fight. A fight for the family is a, is a fight worth having. Of all the fights that you could be involved in, I mean, think about all the political fighting we're doing today, all the fighting about this and that. And, and fighting can be a good thing or a bad. I don't know what is the deal with this. This thing is so flippy. Can I just talk like this? Would that annoy you? Or like this? I don't know if you can hear me if it's like this. Can you still hear me? Does it look weird like I got some weird goatee going on or something? <clears throat> Maybe I'll just use the hand. Jason, can you give me the handheld? Good. So a fight for the family is, is a fight worth having. Uh, fighting has a very negative connotation, right? Normally, if my kids come home and they say they got in a fight, I'm very alarmed, correct? And yet, fighting is something that also can have a very positive connotation. It's something that 
we uh, naturally, instinctually do and should do for the right things. And we're saying that a fight for the family is a fight worth having. Or in essence, of all the fights to be had, fighting for the family is a good fight. Nehemiah 4, the context of that is the children of Israel coming back to restore the land that God has given to them. And they're realizing that not only are they rebuilding the land, but they're having to fight against enemies that have squatted, have taken uh, residence in their land. That Nehemiah says this so poignantly, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And so this imagery that's in Scripture of a fight is something that is rich and powerful. Paul himself said he had fought the good fight. He had run the race, right? And, and, and the, a fight for the family is a fight that's worth having. It's a, good, it's a good fight. Fighting carries with it very, very intentional action, focused effort. Training, planning, getting ready. And that's why we use the words fight in this month. Because your family is not just going to become godly. Your family's not just going to somehow by osmosis wake up and make the right decisions. Your family's not just going to follow Jesus just because. It's a call to us to train, to prepare, to focus our energy, our efforts in what God is calling us to in this fight for the family. Uh, we want to tell you what the fight is. The fight for the family is a good fight, but Paul says this, I don't run around like someone that's running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer just beating the air. I've trained. I'm not just throwing punches aimlessly and not, I have trained. And so this month we're trying to just learn a little bit more about how to fight this fight. Not only what the fight should be, but how to fight it. I love Proverbs 24 and 3 that says this. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. And so this month we've already looked at the, that at the center of how to fight this fight is a fight for authenticity. If you are not following Jesus, fighting for your family is a vain effort. At the center of what it is to fight for a Christ-centered home, for a godly family, to fight this good fight, it demands, it requires, it calls you to be an authentic, real, growing follower of Jesus Christ. Do as I say and not as I do, is a road to family disaster. Amen? It is. And so it calls for you to be authentic. You can't fight this fight unless you're the real deal. You're following Jesus. Um, the second thing we notice is a fight for intimacy. The scripture places a premium on that relationship between a husband and a wife. It becomes a cornerstone relationship in the family. Behind uh, my personal relationship with Jesus, the most important relationship I have is with my spouse. Jesus really helped us uh, identify that it's two becoming one. It's this intimacy that, that is a role model for love and trust and companionship 
that our families desperately need. They need to hope in relationships. And how they hope in relationships is when they see this quality relationship between mom and dad. So you got to fight for intimacy. We get so caught up in so many different things. And often it's easy to get our kids before our relationship with our kids, our responsibilities with our kids, before our relationship with our spouse. And yet the scriptures say, hey, it's out of your relationship with your spouse that you provide the most hope and grounding for your kids that they so desperately need. So it's a fight for intimacy, authenticity and intimacy. So I want to jump in for the next two weeks to this whole world of, of parenting, all right? So you're going to talk about the family, you, you need to talk about parenting, right? Kids! Um, this is always so fun. And so I, I, um, I have this image in my mind about parenting that I've experienced personally, and I feel like we all kind of experience as parents. It's from this, it's a clip, I don't show a lot of movie clips, but I want to show one today just because it's so, like, this is exactly how it goes. Um, it, I don't know if you've seen the movie, Here Comes the Boom, all right? It's a story of a, of a school that's losing its music program because of cuts in funding, and you know, we kind of can all identify with that, right? Like, uh, when the funds uh, dry up, something has to go. And so, in this particular school, Music has to go, but music has been such a impactful thing in so many students' lives in the school. And as the band program is starting to realize it's in its last days, one particular teacher, the main character of the, the movie, is moved. He's kind of an apathetic character. He's kind of a, just cares about himself, lives in his own world. And yet he's just moved by what he sees, the passion he sees from the band teacher and the students, how they're so moved by you know, the, the, the program. That he actually has this, this life change where he begins to realize he needs to do something about this. He doesn't know what to do. And so he, he figures out some way to start fundraising. And he tries to teach a class to, to people who are trying to become citizens. And he's, he's working a second job always trying to earn money for this band program. If they can just make X amount of dollars, then they can save the band program. And he becomes all in on this. He was a wrestler in college. And somehow he stumbles across by a relationship of a guy he's teaching in the citizen class, that there is an underground world of MMA. Are you aware of this? This really exists. I know people who have done this in the Cincinnati area. I was friends with. And, and so, long story short, he gets involved in, in trying to fight now on the weekends to earn some money for the band program. I'm a wrestler. I'm a college wrestler. I can do this. I can make, okay? And so this scene, it's a little dark, kind of, you know, just hang with me on this, okay? This scene is the scene of his first fight, all right? He's never done this before. He shows up, and he, the band teacher comes with him, who he definitely is not an MMA guy, okay? And so uh, just watch this, this first scene. I love his intro, his coming, and how it goes. Ready, Jason? 
I don't know, maybe you think I'm weird, but that's how I have experienced parenting. Before I became a parent, man, I was all like, you know, I knew exactly what I was going to do with my kids. I knew you're doing it wrong, and you can't, you shouldn't do it that way, and I'm so ready. I've read all the books. I got all the principles. I'm like him coming into the ring, and then, yeah. That's exactly how I feel about <laughs> parenting. <laughs> like, wow, I just got knocked out with a haymaker. I think a lot of us can feel that way about this huge role that we've been given as a parent. And I want to frame this this morning with this. Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. It's this idea that all of our activity, our effort, our work to protect, to, to uh, provide, all of that, unless, the, unless God is in it, it is in vain. And it's in that kind of context that the psalmist reminds us that children, everything we're doing, if the Lord is not in it, it's in vain. Even this role of parenting. Children are a heritage. It's the word a gift, a reward from the Lord. An offspring, a reward from Him. Of all the things that we do, all the books we read, the videos we watch, the schools we send our kids to, at the end of the day, this reminds us that the, the absolute thing at the center of being a good parent is that your kids need the hand and the favor of God. Absolutely the most essential thing. And that you and I are called to be instruments of Him to provide to them the hand and the favor of God. Through our prayers, through the way that we prioritize our homes, we are at the core of being good parents. Parents who realize the hand and the favor of God is the most important thing our kids need. Kids are not a burden or an interruption to our pursuit of our own goals. Kids are not a project. Kids are not the validation of your life. Kids are not your second chance. Amen? Kids are a gift, a reward from the Lord, who you have been given this sacred stewardship. A gift that's to be enjoyed. The context of this is it's a blessed life that God graciously, as He has created, He gives us a little glimpse into, a little bit of a role to also join with Him in creating life. And He is the source of all life, but He gives us a little bit of His creative, right? And we get to have 
uh, this father, this mother role over lives that he graciously has given us. And that our primary purpose is to enable them to experience the hand and the favor of God. Amen? If we can just live that way every day, I think it completely changes the way that we approach this whole role of parenting. Because if you're like me, man, I had it all figured out and then I got knocked out. And I'm scrambling. And I'm trying to figure it out. And often it becomes a project to me. It becomes this burden, this weight on my life that becomes so big that I begin to operate in my own strength, in my own wisdom. And I become consumed with trying my best to figure out how to be a good parent. And I lose sight of the fact that God has graciously gifted me with these lives. And that as I follow Him, I am simply a channel of His favor and His hand on their lives. Unless the Lord builds a house, they, that la- they labor in vain that build it. It's that concept that we bring to our kids. But here's what I want to just sit on to this week and next week. Take it in two parts. This is what the word of the Lord is to us as parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your kids. Don't frustrate your kids. Right? Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. To me, this little phrase holds the key to what it is to figure out how to fight the good fight in being a godly parent and providing a good home, a Christian home, a Christ-centered home. Bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. And what I want to just sit on today is that phrase, bring them up. there's there's, There's two things being said here. Bring them up and then training and instruction of the Lord. It's this idea that as parents... There are two things that are always, there are two roles that are being played. One of a loving parent and one of a disciplining parent or an instructing parent. They go hand in hand. One without the other causes dysfunction. There must be both. You see this phrase, bring them up. It is a beautiful word. It carries with it this idea of to nourish, to provide, to bring care. Uh, It's the same word that shows up in Ephesians a little bit before when it says no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Um, The focus is on the fact that in all that a parent does to bring his children to maturity, there should be a provision and a care that assures the child that behind all of the instruction and training, there is a great heart of love. That's bring them up. It's the framework for how we parent. We bring them up in this 
nourishing, nurturing kind of way. You know, this word in classical Greek uh, uh, meant to rear, to nurture, to develop. And at first it was only used in the context of physical development. All the concern was is how to make your kid healthy and strong physically. And yet this word began to develop over time. It progressed to not just the physical realm, but their mental and their emotional state. And it's this word that Paul uses to try to help us understand what our role as a parent is. It's to nurture, nourish, to love, provide, and care for, or just quite simply, to love. Love provides the framework for godly parenting. I've shared this before, but I want to share it again because it's so it's so influential, I believe. You see, the Word of God, which is always true, it's always ahead of its time, says exactly the same thing that this huge comprehensive study that was done uh, in our culture. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people interviewed and thousands of times studying and thousands of all this stuff, right? The energy they put in to figure out what is a good parent, what are traits of a good parent. Guess what, they, they, they sum it down, it's this, uh, it's this seminal report you can look up, it's the Reuben Hill, Minnesota report. And they said that as they studied parenting, they found that there were four kinds of parents universally. There were on this side, and they put it on a grid that they determined, as they studied the science of parenting, that the two essential qualities in parenting were what? Love and discipline. I would say, hey, you saved yourself a lot of time and money by just opening Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Bring them up in the nurture and training of the Lord. Right? That's exactly what the Word is saying. That in parenting, there is love and there is discipline. One without the other causes dysfunction. And so there's this idea that they recognize in thousands of parents, and guess what? You fit into one of these. You absolutely do. There is no fifth option for you. But there are permissive parents who are basically driven by, okay, let me back up. So love, this is a, um, a low amount of love. This is zero, right? And this is a hundred. So that's a high amount of love. Discipline over here is zero. Discipline over here is 100. You kind of get the graph. Okay, follow me. So there's a quadrant here of permissive parents who are high on love, right? That they have absolutely zero or in the low scale of discipline or control. Because they are, they are the dominating emotion in their life is fear. I want my kid to be happy. I'm fearful that they're not going to experience this or have this. And so I go headlong into providing for them everything that they want. They become permissive parents. Again, I'm not just writing stuff down at my desk making stuff up, all right? This is not 
the words of Chip. This is the words of a really, really, really uh, impactful study. Fearful parents become permissive and their kids end up having a very low self-esteem and inferiority. You would think it wouldn't be the case, but it is. When you make your kids the center of your world, you create later inferiority and actually self-esteem problems. They found that there were neglectful parents um, that were so caught up in their own life, their own hobbies, their own world, their work, that they, um, they, they you know, none of us want to sign up for this one. Because you're on the low scale of discipline and you're on the low scale of love, right? Um, basically, forgetting parents are neglectful. Low love, low discipline. It's a latchkey kind of kid. Parents super busy. No interaction with their kids. They might be committed to their kids' success, so they put them in all sorts of stuff, but there's no real relationship with their kid. You have over here the authoritarian parents, right? Some of you are like, amen. 100 to, 50 to 100% on the whole discipline thing, but really low on showing love, right? Um, they're kind of called fighting parents. Um, kind of this um, parent that picks everything apart, never good enough, is, is always interested in their kid conforming, conforming to social norms. Conforming to social expectations. Conforming, conforming, conforming. You need to conform. You need to reach this benchmark. You need to do this. You have to do this. You need to make this. You need to, right? At the same time, there is no nurturing love. And then there are the authoritative parents or the fellowshipping parents who tend to have the balance of not only love but also discipline. Oops, I did that wrong. Well, no, I did. And this is exactly what Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 is presenting to us. Bring them up. Love them. Love them. In the nurture and admonition, I'm using the King James, of the Lord. Parenting carries two distinct roles, love and discipline. I call this a fight for connectivity. I know, I don't love that word. I'm trying to keep with the authenticity, intimacy. Sometimes you just get creative and you don't love it. Okay? Just going to be honest. A fight for connectivity. A child with a full love tank can respond to parental guidance without resentment. When we accept their uniqueness completely, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship. Every one of us are a unique work of art. <laughs> Some of you would say, yeah, unique. But as a parent, we embrace. How do I love my kid? I absolutely accept their uniqueness completely. 
I'm not worried about comparing or conforming. I embrace them completely. I affirm their value consistently. Think about what Jesus said, that God knows when a sparrow falls and he has the very hairs on your head numbered. And then he says, of how much more value are you than a sparrow? And we live with our kids always affirming their value as the Father affirms our value, right? Affirm their value constantly. Love them fiercely with grace. Ephesians 4, be tenderhearted, compassionate, forgiving, loving one another as Christ and God, as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, this basis of love, this lead with love, this bring them up, can't miss the love part. Unconditional is the basis for what stops problems of resentment, being feelings of being unloved, guilt, fear, insecurity. Those things that God has given us the stewardship of with our kids, it's led with this idea of bringing them up, providing a foundation of love. We get so performance-driven, so anxious about are they meeting these benchmarks and are we keeping them safe and we get so stressed out our kids begin to sense that we can't just sit with them and realize that they're a gift from the Lord a reward and that in this relationship he's given to us he calls us to just deeply saturate our time and our energy with love we lead with love I've found myself it's easy to do that with my really young kids. And then they start to develop their own personalities and their own. It gets harder. And I get more like, oh, okay, what am I supposed to do here? And it becomes harder to lead with love. And so I just wanted to remind you of these things. How do I love my kid? I just want to remind you of the love languages. Language that we all need. We, all, we need these five languages of love. We all need this. But every one of us has one that's primary. And I believe God calls for us in bringing our kid up to discern how our kid is wired. To take time in learning who they are. Figuring out their love language. And then speaking that language to them. Now, we all need these five things, every one of us. But all of us have a dominant one, or even a, a two that really communicate love. And if our kids are going to be brought up in the training and the instruction of the Lord, the basis, the foundation is love, I better learn how to communicate, speak, and connect with them in this whole love arena. So I want to remind you, the languages of physical touch. Physical touch communicates so many unspoken things. I, I think about Jesus when he was with the children. or He, he uh, called them to him and he placed his hands on them and he hugged them. And he, he was expressing love through physical touch. Sometimes your kid, this is their main, this is their main love language. And they are desperate for you to hug them, to place a hand on them, to interact with them, 
guys to even wrestle with your boys, right? Physical touch. We all need to be touched. I know there's somebody like, uh, even uh, people need touch. As a parent, don't forget the power of your touch. Are you hugging your kids? Because in that touch, you're affirming them. You're communicating so many unspoken things. Physical touch. Some of your kids, this is their primary love language. This is what they need more than anything. Second is words of affirmation. I thought about the scriptures and God who continually practices this with us as the good father. His word is full of affirmation to us, isn't it? Do not fear. You are love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. On and on. God is a God who is an affirming father. And he calls us as parents to be affirming parents. Some of our kids, this is their primary love language. I mean, they just, they need. We all need words of affirmation. Some need it more than others. It's this words of affection, endearment, praise, encouragement, positive guidance. Saul, or Proverbs says that the power of life and death can even live in the tongue. And our positive words of affirmation can breathe life into our kids, and it communicates this basis of love that they sense and feel and know. Children think we deeply believe what we say. Children just believe we mean what we say. Our words hold great value to them. Think about your kids even now. Long before they understand the meaning of words, they receive the emotional messages that is the unspoken, nonverbal communication, tone of voice, gentleness of mood. Words, especially words of appreciation. Yes, words of praise. But use words of praise in appropriate context. When they do something good, praise them. But the idea of always just saying, you're such a good kid. Use it in praise in the appropriate context. Always use words of affection. I love you. You are the, you know, I would, I, I would give everything for you. I, I, you are my world in so many ways. Words have the power of encouragement. And when we're overwhelmingly negative with our kids, it doesn't communicate love. And then when you try to instruct them and train them, they're resentful. They're hesitant. They're untrusting. Because kids need to be loved foundationally before they're guided and instructed. Bring them up. Quality time. Focused, undivided attention. Positive eye contact. Not just doing things together, but learning and knowing your children, your child better. Quality time. Gifts. Obviously, this one can be abused, right? But they, and they can, gifts can take the place of real effort in relationship making. But I'll tell you what, it's the funnest thing in the world to give gifts to your kids. And for them to realize that in gifting your kids something, the love and the affection that you have for, the joy that you give. This is a love language that we show. When we're sacrificial 
in our giving of gifts. And then in acts of service, showing your love by helping them through homework, helping them through a pro- Valentine Day boxes. Amen? Oh my goodness. Teachers, please hear us. It's a whole new thing. Like, it's stressful and like, but you communicate love when you're there working with them through that, helping them with that, taking an interest in what they, and serving them. All of us need these things, but your kids are, have a dominant one. We all have one. And you need to learn those, and you need to speak those. I would just say this. What is my child's love language? Observe how your child expresses love to you. Observe how your child expresses love to others. Listen to what your child requests. Listen to their request most often. Notice what your child most frequently complains about. Read through that. Give your child a choice between two options. As you're just trying to learn, I have got to know my kids' love language because I desperately have to speak it because me trying to ever instruct and train them in the wisdom and the admonition of the Lord, it's just going to fall flat if they don't first of all know how much I love them. Love provides the basis for instruction. Bring them back. Father, as we fight this good fight, part of this family dynamic is parenting, loving our kids, training our kids. But love leads training. And we can't instruct if our kids don't, first of all, are not convinced of how desperately we love them and how we show that. Help us as parents to figure out how we can speak love to them. What is their language? How do they feel loved by us? How do they know that we, following the love of our Heavenly Father, love them in such a full, meaningful, sacrificial, comprehensive way? Lord, help us to lead our homes, our parenting, with love. Out of that, we have the opportunity to share the good word of God into their heart. And see them make the godly choices that you have planned for their lives. We pray these things in the strong, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great day.